Welcome to week nine of The Greatest Story Ever Retold, as we talk about bronze serpents in the last week of The Greatest Story Ever Retold. And today, Aaron and I are joined by Steve Pruitt. Hello again. Again. Hey, thanks for coming back. I'm glad to be so here. So the most it's important great. question I have for you is, after the Lent journey, are you a better driver now? Oh, yeah. Well, it was a little bit odd because, you know, I kind of gave up inwardly chewing out people who did dumb stuff. Did you just do it And Aaron there? said, this coming Sunday, you'll be able to bring that thing back. <laughs> and I thought, no, no. my thing, I, I, can't, I don't want to bring that. I, I said, or if yeah. it's not so good, you can yeah. eat it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have That's to bring funny. it back. Yeah. But I think that it, it's still, because it, it forced me to maybe create a new habit of, you know, thinking of scripture and thinking, you know, it, it does still, it gives me pause mm-hmm. when somebody does that. And I start going there and I have a caution now that I think maybe God's used that to build into me. Awesome. So as I said, this is the last week of this series. Where are we headed in the next series, Aaron? We're in a series called The Miners, which is about the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, it's kind of cool. Each of those minor prophets, they have their own focus on what they do for Israel and well, Jonah and for people around Israel, but they all ultimately point to what God is going to do and how God brings his people back and his love and his grace and his goodness and also his holiness. And it's important to see, and I only want to do, we're doing one week on each one because in the end, if we ever want to do more weeks on it, I still can do that. (laughs) Nice. Uh, And Steve, you're you're doing a message in in the the middle of that, right? Yes, I have the book of Joel. Oh, cool. And so today, Bronze Serpents. So today we are talking about this little known story, even though I think it should be a well-known story in the Old Testament where Israel complains again about all the provision of God. And in the middle of it, God says, well, I'm going to send these serpents into the camp to bite my people and people start dying. And as that happens, God says to Moses, put a bronze serpent up on this pole, tell the people to look to that provision and they will live. Now, a lot of people don't understand, is God overreacting in this? What is he doing? Like, your kid asked for mac and cheese, and it's like, and then he got angry about it. You're like, that's it. To the rattlesnake pit. I'm done with you. Well, no, what God is doing is teaching people how to look away from their sin and to his provision that he is providing. And when Jesus comes, he will even say, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, and then he will go into, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. And that's kind of where we're taking this today, to understand what our issues is, how God brings provision, and then how we look and trust him. So why do you think it is so unknown at this story and what is this story about this is one of those stories that it seems to me everybody would know especially because Jesus references it directly mm-hmm. to himself being on the cross yeah me is like that and it's like almost nobody knows this story mm-hmm. maybe because it's not in Exodus I guess I don't know but <laughs> yeah. it just seems so natural especially since Jesus. I mean we read John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that that actually, in context, only makes sense with what Jesus says right before it. Yes. About the bronze serpent. Mm-hmm. The fire. Yeah. Well, and you see Nicodemus coming at the whole thing with a little bit of a self-righteous mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, we know you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do those mighty things that you do. And, but come see me at night so and, no one sees me. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, that nobody around me wants I don't want anybody to see me. Yeah. But then Jesus just comes right back at him and shows him his need. The whole thing of you must be born again is not Jesus giving him the way of salvation. It's Jesus showing him 
that his first birth as an Israelite isn't good enough. He's that whole context is Jesus showing Nicodemus that he has a need. The whole context of the serpent on the pole thing is that the people needed to realize that they were bitten first and look away from anything they could do to save themselves. You know, the sucking out the blood, the poison or whatever. They had to look away from themselves to the work of another on their behalf. Moses made the snake. Moses put it up on the pole. They did nothing. And right. like you say in the message. He didn't say climb the they, pole and touch the snake. Ex- nothing. Look. Nothing. Tap three times yeah. and you'll be saved. Look at the provision that I've made for you. And that gets back to them dissing God's provision to begin with that caused the snakes to come out. So it just ends up being a pretty good object lesson. You talk about, that's just such an odd provision. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense. You're going to put a snake up there? But whatever the lesson might be, whatever God's provision is, you take his provision Mm -hmm. as from a loving creator who knows what you need. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing with that. Yeah, yeah. We're done. <laughs> go. We're done. <laughs> so when we talked about this last week a little bit with Eric, that it's interesting that God uses the mundane of like the food, right? I'd be bored with with that after yeah. like two or three meals, right? Yeah, and, sure. and so they. Yeah, I mean, but, I like pizza. I can't imagine pizza every day for forty years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter what it is or how good it is, right? Still, you pizza. do get yeah. Your taste buds get used to it, and then sort of. Yeah. Crave something else, yeah. Well, and it goes to what you said, uh, but we have an infinite discontent and dissatisfaction in everything that nothing will satisfy us for very long, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you look at Adam and Eve, you know, even paradise itself, mm-hmm. in which we look at them and think how stupid that they did that. We all would have done that. That's, yeah, that's oh, just, absolutely. You had very practical things. Uh, one talked about trouble. Right. Which kind of goes back to the whole book of Job, too. The whole book of Job. So I think we've, we've covered that, you know, yeah. for, for the most part. Uh, but I really would like to hone in on the, uh, the, the, the next two, the spirit, that we need spiritual health and spiritual care for our friendship, and also stop blame shifting. So I really would like to dive into both of those. Like, what for you guys does spiritual care on your friendships look like? And, and what, what, what process does someone begin to take if there's a ruptured friendship that that uh, they they have in their life? Well, well, first of all, uh, I don't think that there are any perfectly healthy friendships because you have two people who have sin natures. And so the maintenance of it is oftentimes correcting the damage that's done because we're selfish or, you know, we sin against somebody. I think that, first off, there is an awareness, like... So for, so for my friends, I make sure that if it's not daily, it's weekly, I, I'm praying for my friends. and Because mm. I can say things That's that mm-hmm. can be taken wrong a lot. Really? Yeah, all the time. You? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, and sometimes I say it and think, or do things, and I don't realize I do it. Uh-huh. And as I pray for people, sometimes I, just, I get this feeling like of God's spirit, sense of bleeding that says, hey, you should probably ask somebody about this. And I'm like... Where is this coming from? Yeah. And then because maybe maybe it is God's spirit. Maybe it's just my subconscious noticing a little difference in a relationship with someone during the mm-hmm. week. It's probably both. Mm-hmm. And it makes me go and say, hey, are you okay? Did I do something? Did it, most people are like, oh, no. Something a couple weeks ago where I someone asked me to hang out with them. And I was like, oh, I've got to go and find out if you know Marianne's up to it today or whatever. And then Marianne wanted to do something else. And we did that. And I never told this person. 
And mm-hmm. th- this person never said anything. I don't think they were heard about it, but it, it kind of just sat deep within me for a bit. And then I made sure that I came back around and followed up with it because mm-hmm. that's making sure your friendships are in good repair. That I could have done this. I don't know if you <clears throat> did take it this way, but I want to be aware enough to let you know that I was aware of it. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't really mind talking about people and getting in their business because, I don't know. It's kind of fun for you. It is kind of fun for me. And, That's scary. But but people, <laughs> but people, because they don't like to do it, I think they don't do it back to me. And I, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person, I just really want someone, if you've got a problem with me, to walk up and say, I have an issue with this. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes you, after a message, you never said, i got a problem with this, but you'll say, hey, I think you could have said this better this way. And I'm like, I love that. And I think mm-hmm. you're always sitting there going, hope it doesn't take this wrong. I never yes, take that wrong. I do. You know, I never take that wrong. I always take it like, <clears throat> oh, sweet, mm-hmm. thanks. He and, will actually be like, man, Steve hasn't emailed me in a couple of weeks. Like, he's like, just say anything. <laughs> so I wonder what's going on. <laughs> One of the things that really helps with that is when you really know that person's on your side, Mm -hmm. that they're not out to prove what they know Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, show you feel good about themselves because they point out a fault in you. But you really know that they're championing what you Mm -hmm. do. That helps me a ton. Mm -hmm. And uh, it helps me a lot in my marriage to know that my wife is on my side. You know, she doesn't always confront me or object to things in the way that I would want her to do it probably, but knowing that she is really on my side. It takes a long time to get there. It took me a long time, a lot because of my immaturity, Mm -hmm. sensitivity to confrontation and all of that stuff. It it really did. But Mm -hmm. Marianne and I still get there. Well, a lot. Because (laughs) it's it's like your first reaction is thinking they're they're not on your side. Look, Look, we've been married. What are we... Yeah. What do we say last time I heard? 28 20, years, 19 years, whatever. You know, it's, it, how after all this time yeah. can they not be on your side? Yeah. If she's stuck with you this long, you kind of have a clue that yeah. she's with you no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Back to the maintenance of relationships thing that I think you covered that as far as when you think you might have offended or sinned against somebody, then it's up to you. You go to them and you seek forgiveness or or whatever I have I'm not like an in your face confronter in any way but I'm very sarcastic and sometimes I'm kidding and then afterwards I think I just wonder if they thought I was serious about that and I'll go back and I'll do that and I think that goes to that principle in in, um, I think it's Romans 13 where Paul says as much as lies within you be at peace with all men that you just go ahead and you just kind of check in that's one of the ways I think that people recognize that that you are on their side when you're really wanting to maintain the relationship. You can't control their attitude, but you can, mm-hmm. you know, do that. Well, that again goes back to, well, let's always think the best of other people and not the worst. Mm-hmm. When someone says something to you, think the best of what they've said and not the worst of mm-hmm. what they said. That's the First Corinthians 13, love believes all things. Yeah. Gives people it the is benefit. gullible. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Gives them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we blame shift when we think, oh, I'm in trouble. I don't want to be the one in wrong. And so therefore, I'm going to point fingers. But it, it kind of feels like the same, the same principle of like, well, if, we can, if, if I can assume that you want the best for me and you tell me something's wrong, 
then maybe it's okay that I'm wrong, right? At what point can I be secure enough in admitting <clears throat> yeah. I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what, what about the blame-shifting aspect? Well, I think there? that's the basis of the gospel, and that's what we kind of talked about, I think, throughout the book of Job, that when we understand the gospel, we can be wrong, mm-hmm. and it's okay, because it's not our identity anymore. Mm-hmm. Our identity is what Christ says we are, so we're not like, oh, i got to save face. We don't find our righteousness or our accomplishment in ourselves any longer. We That's a much more godly way to say it. <laughs> that we got it from somebody else yeah. imputing it to us. Yes. Yeah, but I, I, I do I think that when we understand the gospel, it changes and we don't have to shift blame. Yeah. Yes, I did that. Yeah. Why'd you confess that? Because my identity has not come from me doing or not doing this thing. And so I can let you know when I messed up. Well, I think if you have that kind of security that comes from knowing that your sins are actually taken care of, when someone points something out, if you really want to be more like Jesus, you know, if you want to grow, then that thing is going to, you're going to say, oh, here's something I can peel away that will help me to look more like Jesus, you know, something like that. And it's going to be good. But that's not the first place I go to when I'm confronted. The first place is find some reason or um, dismiss the source, Mm -hmm. you know, that, oh, that person is such a scumbag that why should I even listen? They don't have discernment. But whenever I think like that, I go back to like, God used Balaam's donkey to talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it does the the and even when when David was being pelted with stones from that guy who was cursing him mm-hmm. and they said, "Hey, take him out. You know, you're the king, take him out." He says, "No. Who knows but that God may have told him to curse me." That when somebody comes to you and you have the impulse to blame shift you can actually train yourself to say, you know, I haven't really considered that very deeply, but let me just take some time to think about that and I'll get back to you on it. So much I feel like we all feel like we have to give it a response, whether it's it's positive or negative, but it's like we've got to respond in the moment. And we can't think clearly in, in, in those that quickly. No. And How clearly are you thinking when... I tell you something that might be wrong with you. All of your emotions are clouding whatever communication comes out of your mouth. And that's not the time mm-hmm. to really yeah, just like it attacks your identity. Exactly. You, yeah. you take it. You, you can't help but take it personally, even if somebody prefaces their words with, you know, don't take this personally. Right. But because right. as like, soon as they say, I know what's co- coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all due respect. Yeah, with all due respect, I'm going to disrespect <laughs> right. you right now. Uh-huh. Rather than f- immediately trying to find an excuse or whatever, assume that you know. Don't don't set yourself up as someone who's defensive, and then nobody will come to you because they're afraid of you blowing up at them. Just receive it. But you don't have to, if it doesn't make sense to you to begin with, you don't have to say, yes, that was my fault. Beat your breast and try to show your repentance right there when you're not really feeling it. Mm -hmm. You just uh, receive it 
you know, thanks for those words. I will really consider that and, and I'll pray about it. Uh, so we hope for you that you begin to reassess where your identity is and get your identity from who Christ is and who he, um, how he has saved and provided uh, for your sin. And that hopefully this was a little bit more practical. Uh, and as you are dealing with friendships and you're maintaining those, maybe there was something in there that you could begin to try to do this week, uh, as well as learning how to stop blame shifting, which we all do, which is a human condition all the way back uh, to the garden. Uh, So your homework Mm -hmm. this week is to try to love others and receive from them their words of encouragement uh, and assume the best and not the worst of them. Uh, We'll see you next week for the beginning of the minors. And not that I'm going to be perfect at it in any way. But, It'd be so funny but, if it was like today, you'd be like, like oh, and God sent fiery serpents into the camp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about scripture. Yes, right. <laughs>